0: Man, what if a bit of new tech comes out tomorrow that just absolutely sets your little software world on fire? How do you know when something's good enough to change? Other questions, how long is it going to take for the accounting ecosystem to catch up to the cutting edge AI stuff we're seeing now from Google and Microsoft and all that? What is the correct number of computer monitors? Okay, I made a lot of people mad on social media. Come on in, let's talk about it. Okay, Chris Barrett uh, acknowledged the disease that we all have, um, especially if you watch my channels. And yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm making this worse. Uh, Chris said, okay, I love this. I think this may have been on the Copilot demo day on the main channel. CoPilot's said, practice management system. Okay, I love this, but how do I measure when something is better enough to want to move my whole practice to it? And ain't that just the whole problem with all this stuff is back in the day, you would pick a tax software, a practice management software, something like that, and you would stay with it for decades. Like QuickBooks desktop, people use that going back to the late 19th century. Tax software, you presumably just never change. Uh, People use Excel until the end of time, so it's like accountants have never really been conditioned to have to change softwares. Like we, we have to deal with, you know, legislative stuff that changes and all that, but imagine a reality where the only thing that you had to do to change was to go to an annual CPE, you know, federal update. Like, imagine if that was the reality that you lived within, where you could go to, like, a one- or two-day continuing education thing, and they tell you, here's all the legislation that changes, and that is the only thing about your job that had to change. And maybe this is why, for many of us, it is hard to, like... I don't know, feel like we can thrive in this super software driven age where this all there's all this stuff changing and the tools in our space have gotten better. And according to people, AI is going to accelerate all that stuff to make it even faster, right? It's so hard to balance keeping plugged into cool stuff with like not falling victim to FOMO. And I think we actually did a whole episode on this back in the day, like what is software change, man? That's what it was. What does software change management look like in the age of AI? And you've got that kind of iPhone paradox of when is the right time to buy an iPhone? You're always afraid you're going to buy it the day before it gets something really, really cool that you'll miss the boat on. Uh, At least that used to be the case. Now they don't really change all that much, right? And that's absolutely the case with AI stuff right now. And I've heard from so many AI first companies who are building... You name it, pretty much software for everything accountants do from scratch with AI from day one, which honestly, oftentimes like is a very different uh, approach to building a product. We're going to see people who are in our space right now who are unwilling to invest in the architectural changes it takes to meaningfully adopt the stuff that's already out there we've talked about things like you know embeddings and vector search and stuff like that and like how you structure all of the data within a system to make it work really well with ai enabled search how to make that stuff hyper searchable how to populate you know the most relevant stuff when it's generating an email reply for you like there's some pretty fundamental aspects of how you build a product that change if you super want to lean into that and i mean the most obvious example of this is we have a generation of cloud accounting ledgers that have been built around the reconciliation process what happens when we can automate 98 percent of that reconciliation process like yes i I there's a ton of nuance there and there's situations where you can't auto-classify and particularly around tax rules and all that. But when we can get to all but the last mile, it doesn't make sense to build an accounting ledger product around reconciliation anymore, right? Like that's, you've pretty much solved for that. Now, like the reality is in the US, especially bank feeds are still crap. There's things standing in the way of that. But what does an accounting ledger look like if it's not built around classification and reconciliation like it probably looks like something very different it probably is encompassing more of the uh, adjacent workflows like you know bill pay and reporting is probably a little different it's probably very focused on capturing context like transactional context so receipts and invoices but more adjacent stuff like approvals and like it's probably becoming a more holistic i don't know hub for managing communications and documentation and all that rather than just here's where we reconcile the bank like that's becoming table stakes and when you are making a really really big software decision like practice management systems the biggest one and you're going to start pumping all of your organizational data into that boy it sure feels high stakes to jump ship to pick something right when something better could be coming just around the corner and I feel, you know, even more sure of this, the more I've thought about it. Honestly, the only practical way to do this is you have to time block certain types of technology change. And the, the, the biggest ones are those core systems, like your practice management system. If you're going to go through the effort of pulling up the carpet and putting all the work that goes into doing that right, if you're on a team your team's going to be at their wit's end because that is a bloody ton of work. Uh, but even if it's just you, like, man, I mean, it's it's one thing to impose on yourself. So that's different than imposing on a team. But it is a, a ton of work. And so I think whenever you make big changes like that, you have to put a time horizon on it to say, we will revisit this after X time horizon. Especially if you run a team, you can't really expect people to be able to operate In this environment of like ambiguity, when literally anything could change tomorrow. If you're a very, you know, visionary entrepreneurial type of person, like mindset like me, this is how we project our squirrel syndrome on the team as we get this wild idea and then you just go drop it on them. And they're like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? This looks like a lot of work and not a lot of fun. And to me, the, the, only way to balance that is to say like we're going to make this decision we're going to stick with it for x years and then at that point we will revisit are there other options because in almost all these situations there's absolutely switching costs and switching headaches and it is always better to stay on the thing that you have than it is to move to that other shiny thing if possible. So when you're looking at a practice management system, like you realistically have to say, we're not going to change this for three years, or maybe even longer. Same thing with anything involving file management, like that's just such a big lift. Other stuff, I don't know, maybe you can work with a shorter time horizon there. But there's certain things that need to be like non-negotiable over a certain time horizon. And along the way, you're going to see a lot of really cool stuff. And you need a place to dump all of that, like all of those fleeting thoughts, and that, oh, I saw that co-pilot video or whatever it is and like that was pretty cool you got to capture those things when they come up and then when you get to like that dedicated time to explore that again you've got a whole bunch of that information rounded up already but you absolutely have to arbitrarily put blockers on and like put boundaries around it otherwise it becomes this ambiguous non-stop thing i think i shared recently that we have been struggling with we've been talking about moving for like the last two years and obviously my circumstances have changed a bunch with not having the firm and i had an office with you know there's about 20 people in person in the office every day and not having that anymore has definitely changed things like 24 months ago my financial outlook of like i run this firm like that was pretty cut and dried whereas my financial outlook now is a little more ambiguous This episode is sponsored in part by the fine folks at Cloud Accountant Staffing. Do you hire accountants? Bless your little heart. Uh, not the best part of the job, in my opinion. Not something I ever enjoyed. Well, listen, you can build your accounting dream team, dream team, with talented offshore accountants in the Philippines that work 100% full-time for your firm. Their accountants aren't freelancing or contracting for multiple firms. They're all yours. They work exclusively for you and are incentivized to stay with you and your team long term. They're not going to get swiped. Cloud Accountant Staffing is 100% dedicated to the accounting industry and founded by a former accounting firm owner that understands your business, knows your pain points. They had to hire some accountants and they said, you know what? We're going to build our own pipeline in the Philippines. Going to pull in some super talented people and then open that up to other firms. Basically, that's the story. I've uh, been talking about a lot about staffing, building more resilient staffing pipelines for your firms. I, I had staff in the Philippines, I, like totally red pilled me to like, oh, geez, like we need to globalize the way that we get our work done. Uh, check these folks out. Link in the show description, cloudaccountantstaffing.com. This episode is sponsored in part by Copilot. Okay, everybody gather around, take, take one another's hands. Now, we can all agree, the way that we exchange information with clients, very important, can be a massive time waster if you don't nail it, but I get it the fear of training clients on a portal system, right? What if you end up not liking it? What if you train a whole pile of people on this giant system and then you're like, turns out this actually isn't the one for me or this new super cool AI rocket ship platform just took off and now I gotta get all my clients to move? Here's the thing, that is the best argument for why your client portal experience ought to be separate from your workflow management tool. You getting what I'm saying? Copilot, man, all they want to touch is that client experience, just the portal, giving you a mega flexible platform for how you want to work with your clients. So that if the workflow stuff changes, if you want to pull in a different tool for that, you can without changing the client experience. Pretty smart, especially in these scary changing times of AI, right, right? Actually got a uh, a demo day coming up on the main YouTube channel from Copilot in the next week or two where we actually get hands on with it. You can see even even more about it. So if you're looking for a cool, modern client portal experience, check out Copilot, link in the show notes. So you have got all these variables around like, we're going to move. My oldest is in first grade now. We don't really want to wait any longer. It's just going to keep getting harder. And what it created was this like perpetual tension because it was an option. Because we were open to it, but we also at the same time weren't 100% committed to exactly what we were going to do. So there was this tension where it was like, my wife would be cruising Zillow because that's just what she does. And I would come up and she'd be like, oh, you got to see this super cool house. And I'm like, hang on, are we moving? And then I would find something and there'd be a couple months there where like, I would be hot on something. And the best thing we ever did was actually sit down and say, we're not going to move until this time frame and when we get to this time frame we're going to hire a realtor and we're actually going to like go all in and do it properly and man it's been so much nicer since then like we had this ambiguous thing over our head for like a couple months just cuz we couldn't decide right? Not because we were necessarily even waiting for the right thing to come along, but because we just couldn't make up our minds. And there's a tremendous amount of value to saying no until X. And when we're in these uh, periods of change, I think it is really important to keep plugged into the change and see what's changing, but equally important to close the doors in certain places where it's going to create stress and anxiety for you and the team. And that may feel like you're going to miss the boat on something. You probably won't, but also what's the alternative? Like if you're on a firm, man, you're a spin on way too many plates as it is. And the last thing that you need is just give everybody whiplash changing software left and right all the time. But I'll tell you what, that's a hard thing to manage for sure especially with all the AI stuff going around, like it has not gotten any, any easier. But I will say, and I hope this doesn't throw a wrench in your life planning, next three years are gonna be really exciting for tech in this space, both from incumbent folks and also from brand new folks who are coming in with like AI first approaches. Now, should that make you wait? To decide what you do, like no, if now is the time and you need to change and you're still running a firm on a spreadsheet or you're using, you know, a practice management system from your tax tax vendor, then like yes, you should be planning on changing now. Like there's enough of a delta there to make it worthwhile to change now. To me, like agreeing on that change cadence and committing to you know, sticking it out up through X date and then doing a real exploratory process. Not that you'll necessarily change them, but you'll do all the research. You'll go all in. That's the only way to me to compartmentalize what is like this ambiguity and FOMO and like struggle that would otherwise just kind of be never ending. Uh, This is a good question. An important question, I think, from Nathan Sosa. Do you think it will take around the same time to get generative email from the accounting firm softwares to get this bit built in? I think this comment was on, it it was in regards to Microsoft 365 and Google now ships basically the Microsoft 365 co-pilot functionality where you can chat with BARD, Google's ai assistant and it can see into all of your google files and your gmail and you can say summarize the spicy emails from when i was out over the weekend and okay generate a reply to this that pulls in the contents of this file the transcript from this meeting to you know generate a two paragraph reply stuff like that you know the thing that microsoft was building trailers for in february that they still haven't launched and won't launch until november google shipped that but nathan's asking how long we got to wait for the people in our ecosystem for this stuff, right? Because we kind of had a conversation on the pod last week that was like, is this Copilot stuff? Having Windows Copilot on your desktop, Microsoft 365 Copilot coming just around the corner—that is going to be a massive upgrade in white collar work. Period. Like, it is going to super, super transform, like how much effort it takes to pull in information across different projects. And like, this is going to be absolutely the best assistant we've ever had, like beyond a human assistant that is rounding up all this stuff for you. So the age old question is, do I just chuck all my stuff on Microsoft then and like move away from the tools inside of our space? Or do I stick it out with the tools in our space? I still say we stick it out with the tools in our space because there's much higher ceiling there. There's this really fast development cycle happening where we get this novel thing. And then in like six months, it's table stakes because everybody else has got it. But ultimately, how long will it take for the rest of the people in our space to adopt this stuff? I don't know. And they won't all move the same speed. I can tell you a lot of the practice management systems honestly did a really good job jumping on generative email. They jumped on it relatively fast. You actually had it before it went live in Gmail and in Outlook and that sort of thing. I just shot a main channel video about Windows Copilot. And I wanted that to, because that's live now. We've got this AI chatbot on the side of your windows desktop. And I just wanted that to be this super mega hype, like, cool, your whole team now has access to an AI chat assistant. Here's some amazing ways to use it. And that thing is so bad right now. So, so bad. And I kind of had to pause and think like, It's unbelievable where Microsoft is now compared to where they were 12 months ago. ChatGPT hadn't come out at that point. Microsoft was like, it was your dad's Microsoft. It was living on decades of enterprise advantage, but it was like kind of a boring business. They make their investment in OpenAI. OpenAI absolutely explodes. Now they've got their wagon hitched to the frontier AI model provider like openai gpt4 was just so unbelievably far of everything else when it released and frankly is still a long ways ahead and all of a sudden microsoft's like in the driver's seat for this entire new age of like seemingly all of civilization right we're playing up this AI thing to be absolutely massive and, and Microsoft's in the driver's seat. Not 12 months ago, that was not a thing. And in the meantime, they've like had a bunch of really cool talks on stage and these amazing razzle-dazzle trailers about all of your information being able to like work together in all these amazing seamless ways. And what do we have to show for it right now? Bing chat. Freaking Bing chat. That thing is awful right now. Like it is so bad, like so much worse than ChatGPT and Claude. The best thing about it right now is it now gives you access to OpenAI's new image generation model, Dolly 3, like, and that image generation model is unbelievable. Somebody on Twitter the other day gave it a list of 50 things, just a comma separated list of 50 things and it generated an image with those 50 things in it in one image. Like it's amazing. But what does Microsoft have to show for all this stuff so far? Buddy, I would argue not a whole lot. So like, we're definitely building up this notion of how cool this thing's going to be based on the trailers that they've released and how what how they've been talking about it back to February and what we know is possible. And so one thing that the, that the mainstream players outside the accounting ecosystem are really, really good at is marketing and building hype and all that. Like you don't see anybody in our space having these big, amazing, razzle-dazzle conferences saying and putting out this amazing trailer saying, here's what's coming and everybody's just frothing at the mouth. In our space, it's like, Hey, new feature update, it's live in the product today or opt into a beta now. And even then 90% of people don't hear about it. And that's why I try to do my part to kind of amplify the coolest stuff that's happening. So all that is to say, things are developing so fast right now. It's going to be really easy to see a really cool new thing and be like, I need this. And then six months down the road, it's table stakes and everybody has it. So that's why I'm kind of cautioning. In my opinion, I think you stick with the folks in the ecosystem because they can ultimately solve the accounting specific issues that nobody else are going to touch. And I think the perceived slowness of them, there's definitely going to be people who are slow for sure. Like there's, I mean, there's systems that haven't changed in the past decade, right? But there's also people who are working really hard on implementing this stuff in meaningful ways. And we can be champions for them and we can celebrate that. And that gets me really excited. It is hard to resist the allure of the mainstream hype and the trailers and all of that stuff. But ultimately, a lot of what the big players are doing right now is is like, especially Microsoft, it's still marketing, right? Like what, what meaningful new Microsoft development do you have? Like what have you gotten in the last 12 months that you're pumped about, honestly? And I want it to happen, and I think it will happen, but it hasn't happened yet, my friend. This episode is sponsored in part by the fine folks at Tech Guru because you got better stuff to do than worry about your computer problems. Tech Guru is an IT firm that just works with accountants, accounting firms. So they understand you, understand the annual cycle, the oftentimes awful software you're forced to use, not always and they do it via their three S's approach. That's right, there's three of them. I'm now going to give them to you one at a time. One, strategy. Industry-focused tech strategery sessions with accounting technology experts, like people that do this stuff for a whole bunch of accounting firms. Number two, security. Ensure nobody's gonna steal your lucky charms. My copy, not theirs. And three, support. So that you got somebody by your side when bleep hits the proverbial fan, am I right? Spend less time stressing about computer stuff, more time uh, stressing about client stuff. That's what you should be doing. Uh, Learn more about Tech Guru at the link in the show notes. Hey, this episode is sponsored in part by Canopy, the practice management system. Canopy unlocks the firm that you always wanted. Think about it. Think about it. Close your eyes. Lean back in that chair. What is the firm that you always wanted? Oh, wait. Canopy unlocks it. And they do this by unclunking accounting firms with an end-to-end solution that makes your tech stack feel a little less stacky. Putting our customers first with world-class user experience, support, education, and innovation rooted in customer feedback. Working and working well anywhere and for any size or type of firm, wherever you are now and wherever you're going. Multiplying your efforts so your practice requires less proverbial midnight oil. You know, sidebar, If you go to the conferences, Canopy's got like, they always do some like really good little like sort of, you know, the stuff that they use to like trick you into coming to the booth. Well, this year they've had like Legos out there. Maybe, maybe you double down on the midnight oil thing, you know, maybe like uh, give away a little, little, uh, you know, little actual midnight oil. I guess it would need to burn too, but that one's free. I think it's a good idea. Delighting your clients with a modern, easy to use portal that helps you get the info you need when you need it. That is Canopy. Check out the link in the show notes. To learn more. Okay, uh, I posted on social media a uh, it's that meme that's like a normal distribution curve, and on the left hand side is I don't remember like a caveman. On the right hand side is like this wise, enlightened person, and in the middle, the in the middle bit of the normal distribution is like this kind of like basic mouth breather type person. And in the meme, I said you know number of monitors at the bottom is one, at the top is one, and in the middle is you know, accountants with four monitors. And I knew it was going to make everybody mad. Here's the thing is, I actually think this is aspirational. And it's something that I've learned getting away from. I mean, I've, my full journey is coming in when I was 19 into straight into doing US tax preparation and accounting. So doing about a decade of tax prep, spending about five years building a cash practice from scratch. Like every stage in that process, from being the junior junior to being the owner who like successfully got myself out of doing any of the work. Like in the end, I wasn't working with any clients and that was what I wanted. Like I wanted to focus on the strategy and the talent and stuff like that. And in the end, I only needed one monitor. In the beginning, I only used one monitor because I didn't know anything else. In the middle, yes, I needed more than one monitors. But if you're trying to get yourself out of the work, Maybe this is aspirational, the notion that you could actually run a firm off a single monitor. I will like, uh, and there's a lot of like, the people with like the six display mega grids, even the four display mega grids. I challenge you, what is on monitors three and four? I would venture a guess that it is Twitter, it's Slack, it's your email, close your gosh darn email when you're trying to be productive, oh my goodness. Beyond a certain threshold, all these other things are just distractions. And if you run the numbers on how frequently you get notified on your phone, on your email, on your direct messages, like the reality is you're getting distracted like every three minutes. And so the last thing that you need is more displays to be shouting at you when what you're trying to do is right here on this one little part of a monitor. Like you don't need all those adjacent things. Now, unfortunately in certain types of work, we are still entering things from one thing to another thing especially in tax work, there's a bird outside my window, absolutely losing its mind. Welcome to the podcast. And so I think there's absolutely a threshold beyond which I think that stuff is just a distraction. But you can get to one monitor. And as I hear a lot of people that are like, I want to spend more time working on the firm than working in the firm. And one of the best things that ever happened for me in firm running, we had a tax practice that had been using LACERT for like 20 years and we moved a team of 25 tax pros from Lacerte to UltraTax and it was oh. some of the darkest days of my life it took years uh, genuinely years for people to learn how to be productive on a different bit of tax software it was outrageous but this was happening at a time when i was like it was actually like during covid and i was working really hard on ppp and erc stuff and putting out content for clients and i was like my role in this firm needs to be strategy needs to be attracting better talent and getting our systems nailed and I had another partner and like that was a, it was a team of about 40. And so I had that, like we had a big enough firm where that made sense. And at the time we made this tax software transition, I didn't learn the new tax software. Like I people land in different places here where they don't want to lose that edge. They don't want to, they always want to always be able to do all of the work that their team can do. Like they don't want to lose that edge. And my partner was that way. He was like, oh, I'll never do that. I didn't take the time to learn UltraTax, And you know what? It was probably the best thing I ever did because I couldn't be the hero. And as long as you know how to do all of that stuff, they're going to jump out of the way and be like, yeah, hey, can you help me? Can you do this? Can you do this for me? Or at least it makes it a whole lot easier for them to ask you to do that thing for them, right? Like I understood tax, like I'd done tax for 12 or 13 years or something like that. I could deliver tax returns like I had, I mean, I could get around. But to prepare a return would have been shockingly inefficient. And I think having more of a mindset like that of being more willing to give up a bunch of stuff is what actually gets you to live in that one monitor life, like being able to actually manage the firm instead of being in there running it every single day. Man, if I had a dollar for every time in a team of 40 or any firm around that size and you have people come to you and they say and they're like, you have like, there's just this uh, assumption that like you have to be the one to do this thing. And we don't just stop to think I'm I have a team of X people here. And you're really telling me that I'm the only person here that's capable of doing this thing? And for me, the answer was like, always no. And so I like, and this kind of comes back to how some of us are just sort of more wild, wired for delegation than others, I think. Like it just comes more naturally. But I am like, okay, if we got to this thing where I'm truly the only one that can do it, then who are we going to decide does this now? Because it isn't me. And so we work out like w- what's, you know, what should the pipeline for this sort of issue be in the future? Otherwise, you're just perpetually uh, being the hero for everyone in the entire firm. And I think being the hero can really be a trap. And oftentimes we do it uh, like because of this sort of self-worth. Like We don't know what our identity will be if we can't do all of those things. And it is just like in so many other things in life, if you can close your eyes and, and do that trust fall into what's next, even if you don't quite know what it is, man, there's there's a whole, there's plenty to do on the other side of that unknown. Like there's just, there's a lot. But we hold ourselves back cause like we can't see it yet, right? Okay, random interesting development is a couple companies in the last week or two have announced wearable AI things. Uh, because it's not enough that they can now see everything on your desktop and all of your files and everything. One company, Rewind, they they have a tool that's basically like a Chrome extension and it sees your desktop and it literally captures every single thing you ever do on your computer so that any website you ever see anything ever is searchable. And on the one hand, that's really cool. On the other hand, that's like mega big brother, right? So this company, Rewind, announced a pendant that you wear around your neck so that, and you can see where this is going, you'll never again forget a single thing that you hear or say. Now, I think from an evolutionary standpoint, there's probably a good reason why we do forget a lot of the things that we do and say, but how do we feel about that? Like wearing a microphone around and all of that data getting pulled in with all of your computer data, the notion that from a single place you could search anything you ever said, anything you ever heard, anything that ever scrolled into view on your computer monitor. There's some sort of like browser history joke to be made here. I'm just not smart enough to make it. But man, how do we feel about that? That's kind of wild. And then another company, Humane, you may have seen this online. They announced this really snazzy looking like square. They call it a pin, like a pin that you wear on your clothes. And it is, uh, they just say an AI pin. And there's some imagery of somebody holding up a hand. And it's like projecting something from the pin onto their hand. As if it's got this like itty bitty built-in projector. But I'm simultaneously weirded out uh, while also being super interested and super excited. I, smartphones are kind of boring now, right? Like they don't really change that much. Like it's not that much to them. Um, Joni, I don't know how you say it. Joan Ivy, whatever, whoever the old iPhone designer was, guy was with Apple for a really long time. He's evidently now working with OpenAI to develop a physical AI product. I'm absolutely fascinated to see what that looks like. Is that is that a pin? Is that a fruit bowl? Is that a structural support beam in my house? Like, I don't know. Like, But I love the open-endedness of what is a new bit of hardware like just for working with an AI conversational assistant look like? Does it have buttons? Does it have an interface? Like, does it project a screen? Does it have a little screen on it? Is it just a speaker? Like an Alexa sort of thing, right? I don't know. That'll be interesting to follow. And then one other thing I wanted to bounce off of everyone. I got a real good buddy. That's one of those people that wears the same thing every single day and just has a lined up closet of these shirts and these shorts. And like, he like, this is just the outfit every single day. And people hold this out. Like it's this enlightened, you know, they're going to save uh, seven years in their lifetime because they don't have to decide what to wear every morning sort of thing. And this was like, Steve Jobs did this. And like, there's a lot of people that do this. And I don't, man, I'm almost there and I'm almost there for a couple reasons because I'm just getting old and I care less. And the reasons why I didn't lean into that in the past, like, I don't know if I was just a young man, peacocking, just wanting to, I don't know, somehow impress a mate by what colored old Navy shirt I was wearing. So that part of me is definitely going away. The other part, whew, oh boy, I, to- I tell you what, I bought like some some Lululemon shorts and some Fiori shorts recently. And I have been ruined for normal people clothes. Absolutely ruined for it. They are unbelievably nice. And I will never go back to the person that I was. And so I feel like I am starting to get closer to this. We're the same thing every day, but I'm still struggling with it. Is this something that you do? If it is, I would love to hear from you. What your experience has been transitioning to this mindset? If you're not, why you are not that way? I keep hearing of more and more people that are this way. Um, I super love the Smartless podcast. Sean Hayes at one point said he was at a party at Giorgio Armani's house and he snuck into his room, his bedroom, into his closet. And what would you find there? a lineup of the exact same jeans and the exact same black t-shirt all the way down the closet. That guy's Giorgio Armani. He literally sells people on all sorts of different clothes. And what does he do? He wears the same thing every single day. So I'm at a crossroads. I don't know whether to give in to this new life or whether to continue to try. Uh, and I would like help with this decision. So that's all we got for today. These have been a bunch of questions that folks submit. To keep the questions coming. I think they keep this conversation super relevant. And we usually hit on some some fresh ideas in the process. So keep those questions coming and I'll see you in the next one.